Well, the sermon is entitled this morning, You and Your Work. You and Your Work. I grew up with a German ethic, and so work, 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 work was, uh, was uh, what I was raised with, and, and many of you are the same. I know that you've said that uh, to me through the years, uh, that, that, uh, that that's the case. And some have said even a lot of employers like to come to central Pennsylvania because in many parts of the country there's not a strong work ethic. Well, I think it's diminishing, but there may be some of that old fiber and that sturdiness and steadiness uh, here that may be even more lacking in other places. Some of you could tell better than others because you've lived and worked in other places. Well, you and your work. You know, becoming a Christian, and many of you, that would be your testimony. It changes everything. If any man or any woman be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. Paul tells us that in the second letter to the Corinthians. It changes everything as right well it should. What it does, and what I'm thinking of this morning, is in this venue, it makes you better than what you ever were before. It makes you better. It does. Now, that doesn't mean if uh, you play the piano and one day God opens your heart and wonderfully saves you, the next day you're going to be a concert pianist. I don't think it's going to happen like that, you see. But uh, there are other things that happen, and in that area, it may also happen in time, depending on your talent and ability, that you might be even better, and you should be better than what you were before you were saved. Well, for example, I have on your sheet, if you're a man, you will be in Christ a better man. You will be. You'll be, if you're married, a better husband. You will be. You'll be a better husband, a better father, a better citizen, a better friend. You'll be a better worker. And that's our focus this morning from our text in Ephesians chapter 6. You will be a better employee or employer or boss or wherever you fit in the spectrum of your work. God's word has a lot to say about that. You will be better you could not be the same as before you were saved. All because of Christ. All because of his Holy Spirit who now lives within us. You will be better. Well, today's text, and take your Bible, look at Ephesians 6 if you've not opened it to that, discusses the duties of slaves and masters. Let's read our text in Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. Uh, Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, or you might insert bosses there, treat your slaves, employees, in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he uh, who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. In other words, God is not a respecter of persons. We see that in James as well. Well, today's text discusses the duties of slaves and masters. It is the last of three examples of submission. Remember the submission. If you're walking in, in the Spirit and you're serving uh, the Lord as right you should, there are three fruits in your life. There will be a song in your heart. You'll sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. We saw that in Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 19. The singing unto the Lord. There's a joy there. And second fruit we saw in verse 20. There's the, the gratitude, the gratitude attitude that uh, you're thankful. You realize you deserve hell. So the fact that you're living and the fact that God blesses you ought to evoke in your heart thanksgiving. Not only to the Lord vertically, but horizontally. There ought to be a gracious 
thankfulness about you. And then the third fruit was that of submission in 521. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a mutual submission there uh, of all. We're to consider others better than ourselves. That is the mark of Christ in us. It's not natural. Most people want to climb the hill to be the king of the mountain, right? You ever play that? King of the hill. Boys will do that. Throw them off a mound, find out who's the strongest at that moment. That's sort of the way we are. And, uh, but when Christ is you, all things change, and it's all different. And the effect of that, and he gives three examples where that's found. And we saw that in the husband-wife relationship. It says, he goes on in verse 20, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And uh, we saw that. The second example moved into chapter 6. You realize, of course, the Fannis in the 1500 put the, the pagination in our Bible, chapters and verses. We appreciate that. We'd be forever thumbing our way through, where's Pastor now? I can't find it. Okay, so 6 is an artificial break there, but 6-1, the second example, not only husband and wife, but children to parents. And it's a little different word there, under the hearing of, you hear and you obey. Different than the word for husband and wife relationship. And then today, we come to the third relationship, illustrating what Paul is talking about in our domestic responsibilities that ought to give the essence and flavor uh, of Christ in us, of changed lives. That in regards our work environment, our labors. Now, the world has changed a lot, as, as you know, because Paul is not here teaching in this passage about the legitimacy or the illegitimacy of slavery. And most of us think of pre-Civil War when we read the text. It wasn't anything like that, though there was some abuse. In the Roman world at Paul's day, there were, uh, imagine this, half of the world at that point lived as slaves. Some of them are very high educated. It wouldn't be uncommon for larger households to have their own physicians, their own attorneys, their own, and, and, and all kinds of teachers and trades and all that. And the, most work was done in the home. We think of the guild in the Middle Ages, the, the, the tradesmen would have their little shops. They're very common. Our day where we travel 100 miles or 50 miles or six miles to work was unheard of in that day. And for people, for all sorts of reasons, uh, were uh, in bondage or in the employ and dominion of, of someone else. It, it could have been a conquered foreigner. It could have been uh, for economic reasons and all this. So it wasn't uh, the shackling and the chains and all that. So don't instantly go to that. Paul's not dealing with that here. Now, there's some that take Paul to task. Say, Paul, you should have spoke out against it here. Well, uh, he didn't condone it. He didn't condemn it, didn't condone it, but the principles he lays down ended up changing it forever. It did. Wilberforce uh, uh, was, the, was the Christian man in, in London who, who put an end to the slavery that we typically think of. It was, they were Christian principles. What is it that men and women are all made in the image of God and have an innate sense of dignity and worth and respect. They're not objects. They're not things. Aristotle, the, brilliant, the most brilliant mind of that ancient Greek day, uh, was wrong. And I quote, he wrote, a slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. He was wrong in that. And it was the Christian truth that eventually changes marriages, and changes all sorts of institutions, and even the work relationships. And it did. Eventually, it was Christianity that ended slavery as it taught that all men and women are made in God's image. Since the slave, the worker, possesses inestimable worth and great dignity, he or she is to be treated properly. But having said all that, that's not Paul's chief focus here in this unfolding, the third example of submission. He's talking about work. That's his focus. And so we jump 21 centuries later, and it looks very different, feels very different. We've enjoyed the fruit of Christianity as it's worked its way through and, 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 and snuffed out some of the evil things that, uh, that we know of in our own country's history. But that's not what he's talking about primarily. He's talking about your working ethic and the way you treat people. 
in the way you view the one you're working for. And if you have people in your employ, how do you view them? That's the heart of what he's talking about here. And that's what we're going to develop here. He has much to say to us in this whole thing. In the world in which 120 million people, half of them, 60 million, lived as household servants, if you will. Now, you couple this with this, okay? The early church is filled with many who were slaves who God had opened their heart and won them. They were added to the church. They were. Can you think of one in the New Testament? There's one whole book that writes dealing with it. Who can think of it? Philemon, right, Jim? Philemon. And Paul had found him. He had, uh, he had run away. He was a, a slave of, uh, of uh, Onesimus, had run away. And Philemon was a godly man. He had worked for Philemon, and he headed to the big city to leave. You know, <laughs> Philemon's a boy. And uh, you know what? Paul was in Rome, and the gospel found Onesimus in Rome. And Onesimus ministered to Paul. And Paul said, you know, you need to go back. And he wrote a letter, and it's called Philemon, that he is to receive him now not as simply a household worker or a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And the early church was filled with many, many slaves. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> it's even more complicated than that. Some of the bosses were also saved. And there's a variety of gifts in any church. You know that. And we all stand on equal footing, even though there's a variety of gifts. You're saved. You have a gift. You ought to exercise that gift in the body. And some in the body who were slaves in the employment were teachers. And they were pastor teachers, some. And some that were sitting in the pew were their bosses, the ones that they lived in their household. They were their household slaves or servants, if you will. It really gets sticky wicked here a little bit here. And, uh, and so on. And then you have the relationship uh, in the pew where you're sitting next to your, let's say, your, the, the, the one you work for. You're his slave or household servant, and you're both saved. You're equal in Christ. And so you go like, well, he's a brother, so I can slack off here a little bit. And, you know, he's a, you know, and those kind of, you know, human nature. We all know that, right? It's all within us, that sinful bent. Really interesting dynamics there. And Paul has a lot to say about our employment and the way we think about, the way we do our work, and uh, all the rest. And who do we really work for? And we're going to see... If you know Christ, you really work for the Lord Christ. He really is your employer. I mean, there might be flesh and blood there standing there right above you by, by insofar as a boss or, or supervisor or, what, or whatever, but you really work for the Lord Christ. All of us do. And if, you're, if you have people that you're responsible for, maybe you're the owner of the company or you're a boss or a supervisor, and there are people that are accountable to you, he also has something in verse 9 to say to you as well. And so it's, it's, it's kind of like the rubber meets the road and the practicality and the outworking of our Christian faith. It changes all things. It, re it really does. Well, two directives in these uh, few verses uh, regarding a Christian's work revealing how Christ makes us better, better at our jobs, better than any labor union could do, better than any... Anything else, it changes, for he changes us on the inside. For Christ in us changes even the way we do the most menial, basic tasks in life. Well, verses 5 through 8 is the first directive, and it's speaking to us now as employees or workers, those that have to give an answer to someone else, all right? Well, it is the duty of all Christian employees, then, to obey their bosses. For we are to submit to them in the workplace. Paul uses the same word that's found in 6.1 of, uh, of children to their parents. That is, uh, be under the hearing of, and it's, in, it's a command, it's an imperative by force. And, and as for the work to be done, employees then, we can, we can glean from this, stand in a relationship to employers, 
just as children do to parents. Now, that's the way we ought to view that. It's the exact same word. Yeah, I mean, if we're in their employment and they're paying us for our time and abilities, uh, they are our bosses or supervisors or owners. Uh, they're the ones that are trying to figure out what is the work that needs to be done, and they may tell us how they want it done. Then Paul is saying through the Spirit of God here uh, that uh, we are to treat them as if we would in obedience to our parents. It's the exact same word. Now let me, let me just insert this here at this point. If your work condition is intolerable, you, you do have a choice. You, you, can, you can say, Lord, I don't think I should work here anymore, and quit. And pray, find, not find, maybe find something before you quit. Use your noodle here a little bit. But, uh, you know, you can work somewhere else. You, you know, I mean, it, it's not that you have to continue on where you are. All right? But if you are there, having said that, then your relationship that God would call each one of us to as those that have to give an account to someone else, as, is, as if it were our father or our mother saying, and in our junior years, I want you to do this, this, and this. And we're to say, okay. All right, but he has more to say than just, just that. The question he's asking here, what uh, does a worker owe an employer? Well, there are at least four things. There are four, uh, there, uh, for some of you are better at grammar, four adverbial clauses here that describe the manner of which our duty ought to be to our, to our employee, employers. First one is found in verse 5. An employee is to have the right attitude for a boss. It is to be one of respect. It is to be one of fear. Look at, look at verse 5 again in, in, in Ephesians 6. Slaves, or in our day, 21 cents, you just put employees there, okay, in your mind. Obey your earthly masters, here it is, with respect and with fear. It's the word phobos, phobia. Fear and, and another word for trembling. Actually, it's the idea of trembling. It's, it's deep respect. When my father would walk in to examine the work I, he asked me to do, there would be a sense of respect. I was going to get it if it wasn't done right. You know, there's a sense of, whoa, here's the review. You know, and I, and I ought to be working that way even if he's not around because he's going to review it. That's, that's the idea. And, and really, he's talking here about an attitude. This is an attitude. I know sometimes we get the idea the inmates are running the asylum. All the imbeciles are in management. You know, they're so stupid, that's the only way they can get in. And we walk around with that attitude. And, and you know what? That may be sometimes. You ever read the Peter Principle? That may be sometimes. That may be. Quit. If you can't live, if you're there, and ask the Lord to give you respect for their position and to have a sense of, of, uh, of reverence for uh, the, the place that they occupy, at least in your life. Well, look at number one. This is not a begrudging respect. Oh, all right, I guess I will. It's not that. It denotes a proper reverence and honor that makes a person anxious to please. Anxious to please. That's what it is. What a picture that is. Anxious to please. Kind of rebukes all of us at points, doesn't it? What's that? I'll do that. Okay, yes. Your work too? I'll do that too. <laughs> oh my. Anxious to please. Boy, that shows us, most of us, that sometimes we fall short, don't we? That's what the Lord is saying. And anxiousness. I was do this, this, and that. Anything else? Most of us don't say that, do we? Anxious to play. Number two, remember the principle of authority and his submission is a God-given. Uh, it's God-given and is always to be honored, always. So one should be willing and gracious, willingly and graciously uh, submit. These are two columns of God's authority structure uh, in this world that we live in. Now, I remind you, it's not absolute authority. No husband has absolute authority over his wife. No uh, parent has absolute authority over their child. No uh, a boss has absolute authority over the, um, who they work for, uh, their employees. 
what do I mean by that? I mean, you, they can never command you to sin. I mean, they can, but you have the right then to say, you decide, is it better to obey God rather than man? And at that point, uh, you choose to obey God. But those, those times are few and far between. Now, there are, we've, we've seen some things in recent days with high corporations and uh, cooking of the books and the signing off of the accountants and all that kind of thing, and, and, and that's, that's immoral. And uh, they, need, they, they could have resigned in protest rather than do that. Little do we know all that went on, will we ever know, but uh, they didn't have to do that, you see. They didn't have to do that, nor do you ever have to do that. Dare to be a Daniel and do that which is right, even if you end in, in some sort of lion's den. Better to please the Lord always. But having said that, we're to have a willing obedience, a graciousness to submit to their authority. Number three, this may be difficult at times, and I, I understand that. And I've had, in my work experience years, I've had bosses that uh, were difficult. Sometimes they seem unwise or their decisions are arbitrary, sometimes capricious in office politics and in work environment and a lot of that junk that goes on. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yet it is made easier, here it is, by the thought that you don't work for them or even whatever company or whatever it is, but you work for the Lord Christ. He's the one you ultimately serve. And so Paul would tell us here in our passage, uh, for you to obey them and you're to obey them as if they were the Lord Jesus Christ to you. So when you're asked to do an assignment, you're asked to do this, or you're asked to do it over again, or you're asked to, then, then you're to consider that with the import and the weight as if the Lord were to say that to you himself. Now, you would do that, wouldn't you? At work, if the Lord showed up and said to you, hey, Terry, I'd like you to do this, would you grumble? Well, oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't think you would, would you? How about doing this report? I want you to make this presentation. How about teaching this class? How about going in the shop and reworking that piece? How about making that extra sales call? How about, yeah, I don't think we would uh, turn our back and, and then blow off steam. What do we say? Yes, Lord, whatever you want us to do, we do. And that's the attitude that we ought to have. And it ought to change not only our work, and if you're a student, your, your classwork is your work. Did you ever think about that? That's your life. Your work is a student. And, uh, and so we ought to do that same and apply the same type of principles in, in a secondary sense. Well, that certainly helps, doesn't it? You may, you may think you have a real, a real uh, uh, loony for a boss, but uh, when you look at it right and you realize God is sovereign, he places people in, even in those parts of life, and gives certain gifts and abilities and opportunities, and at this point, like that, it's that really it's the Lord that I serve. And then that change at all. Sometimes a, a wife will have an overbearing, even an unsaved husband who will just be demanding and miserable and all the rest. And and how can she exude with the sweet flavor of Christ, whom she loves? And she can do it because she can recognize that ultimately she serves the Lord Jesus. And it's the Lord that will encourage her heart and the Lord that will see her through. And by even submitting as a wife to her husband and things that are proper to do, even though it may be strange and demanding to her, she in fact is serving the Lord Christ who knows all about it and who will reward her. Well, it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing to the employee. Sometimes they're demanding, they're half-wit, they're goofy, they want you to do rework. I hate rework. Do it again. Do it again. Oh, well, it kills me. That's why I, I don't like when I'm driving and I get lost and I, I have to make up time. It's like rework again driving. I wanna, you know, same thing, same attitude. We ought to, yes, we're willing to do that as we serve the Lord Christ. Number four, remember your workplace, and this is very important, is your field of service for the Lord. Have you noticed God hasn't called too many of us to be pastor teachers or missionaries? He hasn't. That's a very small minority, very small. That doesn't mean that, uh, that you're not servants of Christ and don't have a ministry. You do. Your field of service is your life. And most of you spend that, um, uh, particularly the men, away from our homes. And we, we work in places, and, and ladies too, that uh, I, I will never meet those people, see those people. But they see you. 
And, and that's no accident that you're there and uh, have the jobs you have and at this time. And that's your field of service. God didn't make a mistake. And so the way in which you serve, the attitude of which you exude with, is all important. Listen, if you have a bad attitude, don't, do me a favor. Don't tell anyone you're a Christian. No. Why, well, why hinder the work of Christ, humanly speaking? Right? Don't do it. You know, after you just, uh, you know, made fun of the boss when he left or she left, and you showed everyone on your peer group what an idiot he or she was, and, and don't tack on, oh, incidentally, I didn't tell you I'm a Christian. Don't do that. Don't do that. You see? That's your field of service. We're going to see you later. Do your work well. It's like pre-evangelism. All of us have a life message. It exudes from us. It's not what we say that's our message. It's, it's who we are. It's our persona. It's, it's our character. It's our words. It's our life. It's the way we do the little things. And often the little things are more important than the big things. And we do those well under the glory of God. It's a life message that uh, will invite people to draw near and, and maybe even ask of the hope that lies within you. You could say, I serve the Lord Christ. And the Bible tells me I, I'm, to, I'm to have respect and I'm to do my best. And, uh, and it may open the door and God, it may, God may use that to see them come to know Christ. It may be a part of the sowing. Some sow the waters, God gives the increase in drawing men and women to Christ. You see that. That's very important. You've got to view it that way. That's your mission field. And we're hoping this year that we'll be able to add a, a missionary onto our budget full-time, regular monthly support, and, and someone probably ch uh, church planning somewhere in the world. How exciting that is. That's their ministry. That's their mission. This is ours as a church. But you individually, when you go to your places of employ whether you're the owner, the boss, supervisor, or work as an employee, you say, I'm on the bottom of the rung. I'm, I got a down-and-out job or dead-end job. My dad used don't want those dead-end jobs. You, you serve Christ. That's your, that's your field of service, and we ought to view it that way, always. Well, the second thing we notice here in verse 5b, an employee must do his work with sincerity. That's what he is saying here uh, in, uh, in the text with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Sincerity. Paul uses a word that means our work is to be done with wholeness and liberality. It suggests that we should not hold back from doing our very best. We should pour ourselves out liberally in honest service of heart. Put yourself into it. Don't hold back. I, I know that uh, we live in a day where labor unions are really on the downhill slide from what they were years ago. And, and there was a tremendous place for the unions, the abuse and the safety and the needs and, and the way child labor laws and, and, and all these kind of things in days gone by. Maybe it'll come back, but it seems to be on the wane. But my first exposure when I was a college student, I worked in... Uh, uh, international paper mill making paper. And then I worked in, a, I was a steel union uh, member, worked in the steel mills and Roblin Steel. And I, my first exposure was very different than the way I was raised. And I remember coming in there, and we were college guys at that point, and, and we'd be working away, and we got, we got the tip pretty quick. Slow down. You're making us look bad. Slow down. What's the rush? You know, like, what are they talking about? Slow down. You're walking too fast. Slow down. You're, we, would, I, we had the bottom jobs there at the steel mill. I used to have to crunch all the scrap metal up, and they'd melt it down again. Imagine scissors, like with paper, you know? But these are really uh, like a five-ton shears that cut steel. That was a pretty interesting job. And you hold on with your asbestos glove. It was in a bar mill. And I used to have to crunch that stuff up, you know, slow down, slow down, slow down. Well, I couldn't slow down. I just, you know, you slow down. You ever, you ever notice that about human? If you slow down, the clock slows down. I'm telling you. 
Every day I live, I'm in a race to try and get done as much as I can. I'm still amazed how fast someone's speeding the clock up. You slow down and start watching that clock and counting your step. Forget it. Life is forever. Now I'm sad to say, you know what? And maybe it's a part of that attitude. That steel mill has been ripped down and they scraped the surface of the earth. You wouldn't even know where it is today. In fact, I go up to our home city. I can almost not even find it. Did that contribute to it? That I'll say this, that attitude did. That attitude did. They couldn't compete then on international global scale for steel and bar mill and all the rest that goes into that. And there's a lot of other economic factors around it as well. That's the opposite, you see, of what Paul's saying. Do it wholeheartedly. Put yourself into it. Put yourself into your work. We had, uh, in Dad's house, he had all these elm trees. And the Dutch elm killed many of them, but a big storm came through when I was in ninth grade. Limbs and trees fell everywhere. It was a disaster. You couldn't you hardly get around. And so uh, my father wouldn't pay anybody to come and do it. I got boys. We're going to do it. And so <laughs> we rented a chainsaw. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> And, uh, and then we had a chop, you know, chop. And my, there's my father out there yelling, put your back into it. That means something to me. Put your back into it. Man, work at it. Work at it. Yeah, this, uh, we, we renovated the big house when we were in ninth grade, and he had this idea that uh, these old cast iron radiators, I mean, it's the old hot water system. It, it, we, it turns out that that's an incredible system today. Very few homes can afford it. But we carried all these radiators out, and scrap was, uh, cast iron was going for like two cents a pound. And we, we didn't know what to do with these things. So Dad thought, well, well, we'll bust them up and sell it as scrap. Yeah, that, I, have, I still have uh, scars all over me with flying shrapnel when we were like hitting this thing, and blood's going all over. And I got halfway through one, there were about 19 others. And Dad said, mm, I don't think this is a good idea. And I looked like I came through Vietnam, you know. Put your back into it. means something. That's what Paul's saying here. Do your work with sincerity. Do it. Do it wholeheartedly. You see, give, give an honest day's work and do it from the heart. You see, in the ancient world, I have it here, uh, sinceria. Sinceria, uh, two Latin words, were often stamped on a piece of pottery that, uh, that was uh, a piece that was a high quality, sinceria. It's the words, incidentally, we get sincere from it in English. Sinceria means without wax. What they would do is, in that day with pottery, they, uh, uh, one who was less than forthright, uh, that is a, a maker and then merchant of, of pottery, would take a piece of pottery that had pits or crack or hairlines in it, and they would melt wax, and they would fill the pits and the cracks, and then, and then they would paint over it. You know, they would be selling a second then, right? Who would want to buy a piece of pottery that uh, you know, had pits in it, but had a little wax melted in to fill it? And what they would do then is they would hold the pottery up to the light, and you could see a little discolor in the final color of that pottery where the scratch or the pit or the crack was. And therefore they knew it was second. Uh, um, the high quality stuff was stamped, sinceria, without wax. I mean, the, what you saw is what you got. It was the real deal. And that's where that word comes from in our, our language. He said, do your work, not in a half-hearted, kind of a phony way, but do it wholeheartedly. Do it as even unto the Lord. And this means then, three, that we'll do our work without complaining, bragging, or criticizing the work of others, which is really nothing more than one-upmanship. We put others down around us so that somehow we feel better about ourselves or trying to lift our own self up. Well, the third thing that Paul tells us as an employee, as a worker, in verse 6, uh, insofar as our duty is, an employee must be conscientious in his work, evidencing a loyalty to his boss. Look at verse 6. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of Christ from your heart. He's talking about really a loyalty here. And uh, it's easy for us to see the imagery here. 
the boss comes around and the secretary's at her, uh, at her uh, used to be typewriter, but now at the keyboard. And he comes around, she comes around, and she types faster. Well, look at her go, right? He or she walks away and she resumes her conversation with the other ladies around the office. That's the image he's saying, don't do. Don't be like this. Don't, don't just work when you're being watched. But because Christ sees you always, we are to give our labor in the intensity of it with loyalty all the time. It's like gym class, right? Did you ever have gym class where, all right, everybody down, we're going to do 50 push-ups. And the, and the PE teacher would be walking the line and be yelling out. And, and while he's looking, oh boy, they're pumping them out, back straight, looking good, walks past them, and they're laying on their gut on the gym floor. Right? That's, that's what he's talking That's not the way a Christian works. You see, Christ in you changes everything. It changes. It, cha- it ought to. If it isn't, it may indicate you're not saved. You're not the man or woman that Christ wants you to be. It changes you. You see how the grassroot movement of the Christian faith changes all of society? Changes government, changes schools, changes work relations, changes homes, changes everything. It does. changes it. And here it is, exactly the same. It changes it. Well, so number two, so we're, we are to obey, or not, uh, I've got the numbering wrong, it should be small letter one, we are to obey them not only when they're watching us, rather we're to have a steady faithful service that comes from having our hearts in the right place. That's what we're loyal, company loyalty today. I know companies tend not to be loyal to their employees. They, they lay them off, they cut them out, they're swallowed up by others, but it doesn't matter. You're to exude as an employee loyalty to that company, loyalty to that place where you work, and to do it by being faithful in your labors. This is God's will for us. That's what he is saying in the end of verse 6. Doing the will of God from your heart. That is having a loyalty to your employer, to your company, and a desire to see the work done and see it done well. This means we'll be reliable, productive, and cooperative uh, worker and not steal from him uh, his, his or her time. That's what it means. Someone said life, much of life is just showing up. You ever hear that expression? Much of life is just showing up. I kind of chuckle when I hear it. Do you know that's not true with work? Just showing up. I just show up. <laughs> no, there's a whole lot more that you're being asked to do and since you serve Christ, you're to do it with loyalty the will of God even unto him. That's what he is saying here. Wow. And so, number three under C, this means that we will not do the, the, min, the minimum. The bare minimum. <clears throat> Some of us, well, what, what, what's the least amount I have to do to keep my job? No, none of us don't ask that. Hopefully you don't ask that, right? No boss ever wants to hear that. But uh, that's not what we're thinking about. What's the bare, the least amount that I can still get a paycheck? No. It means that we'll work just as hard, here it is, when we're passed over for a promotion that we really thought was ours and we deserved it. Now, human nature is, well, that's it. I'm going to coast. I'm not going to give it an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. They passed me over. They picked Billy instead of me. Now, here's the real test, whether you really, in your heart, serve the Lord Christ when injust, and injustice happens. Have you noticed? We have a great sense of justice. We, we know right and wrong. We say, That's not fair, and we'll say that. That's where we exude the likeness of God within us. I've been here longer. I work longer. I got the, but inner office politics, I got passed over. How will you do your work the next day after that, after the big announcement's made? Will you still serve Christ with loyalty and sincerity and an attitude of respect for your boss? That's a, it's a great test. It really is. And D and last, an employee must go about his work wholeheartedly. That's verses 7 and 8. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. 
because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free, whether he's the employee or the employer 21 centuries later, wholeheartedly. This means that we should do our work as if our heart and soul are in it. It's the way we're supposed to love the Lord. Have you noticed that? The Lord, we just don't go through the motions here. We just don't come and, and stand up, sit down, not fight, 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 but stand up, sit down, sing, pray. You know, and I did stamp my card, Pastor, I was here. That's not it. God wants you, your whole being. He wants you to love Him with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. That's the totality of your being. In our work, uh, we ought to do the same. We ought to put ourselves into it wholeheartedly we should. Ecclesiastes, I have the reference there, 9.10. Solomon wrote, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, all your gusto. Do it. Do it as unto the Lord. Colossians 3 tells us that. Uh, further, it implies that we do our work with a cheerfulness. Boy, that'd be unusual. Wouldn't that be unusual? That'd change your office, your classroom, your factory. It'll change the places you work. Uh, have a sense of pleasantness or cheerfulness about you. And, you know, where you actually smile. People wonder, well, what's up with them? You know, <laughs> they're smiling. They can't like the work. We hate, we all hate this work. Hate, hate, you know what, we're talking about work is a good thing. You, you, you would be dying of boredom if you didn't have something to do. Really, really, it's true. And even when you retire, stay busy. Stay busy or you'll be dead, humanly speaking. I heard Howard Hendricks tell the story. I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but he was visiting a kibbutzim over in Israel. And uh, in the kibbutz, everybody works. You know, it's kind of like true socialism there in that experiment with the Sabra and the in the, the early days of the statehood, a Zionist movement, and then state of Israel there in Galilee. And he, he went in, and uh, there was a man who was uh, 91 years old, 90, 91, as he told the story. And, uh, and I visited the kibbutz, and they're very, they do the agricultural, then a lot of times they'll make shoes. Some of you like those, what kind of shoe is that there? Those, uh, that, that Israeli shoe? Nayats. Nayats. How many of you heard the ladies heard Nayat shoes? Three of you. Okay. Wait a minute. See, see Faith. I bought her a pair one time on that. But they're made on a kibbutzim. They make them right there, right? So uh, Howard uh, saw a man 90 years old. And he said to him, he said, uh, uh, do, do you work in the shop too? And he said, the old man stood up and said, you bet I do. I work five days a week. I go in two hours, five days a week. And Howard said, as only he could, he said with a gleam in his eye, and I make the very best out of any of them. You see, there's a need in us to want to contribute. God made us that way. He made us that way. I mean, how many games of Larry, I know you like golf, but how, I mean, to play golf, or, you, know, you may be in golf heaven. And some is, but I mean, you got to, I mean, how many fishing trips can you go on? How many trips? You got you to stay active, even in older age. And for young, we're like in a race to get out of work. For what? For what? God gave us something to do to be productive, to provide for ourselves, to be a blessing, to work hard at it, to give our gusto to it, to serve Christ and all that, to view it as a mission field, to be a part of spreading the gospel and then through it. That's what it's a part of. That's what we're to do, and we're to do it wholeheartedly as, as unto the Lord. For one day, he reminds us in verse 8, the Lord will reward you for your faithful diligence in this area. Heavenly rewards, and it's motivational. You may get passed over, and people maybe little realize your attitude and what you contribute to your workplace, and often that happens. It happens, right? It happens. But the Lord doesn't miss any of it. And he says, if you do it unto me and you serve even the most menial job, I'll note that and I'll reward you later. Isn't that great? That's the real payday. It's not every Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or once a month or whatever. That's the real payday. Incidentally, in all life it is. It really is. So life, work is more than just showing up. 
uh, it is the duty of all Christian employees to obey their master and to do it in just this way. Flip your sheet over. I just want to give you some extra, okay? And before we quickly close then with the employer's duty, let me give you just some biblical principles on work. As I thought about different principles that the Bible teaches on in a lot of places, let me just give you like eight of these, okay? A lot of these are just one line. Number one, if you don't work, you don't eat. Okay? It's, it's real simple. Any, uh, any questions on that? <laughs> if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, there are times when you're laid aside. There's time when you're aged and you can't. There are times when the load certainly changes, but God doesn't want us to be freeloaders, right? Okay? That's right. The Bible did. Number two, God works. Even to this day, take heart. Say, I hate work. God, this is what do you mean? I work. The Lord said, my father works even to this day. God works. The Lord Jesus, Colossians, holds all the universe together. He works. He didn't stop on the sixth day of uh, creation and rested that day, and he's been on siesta ever since. God works even to this day. You're, I got news for you. You're going to work in, in heaven. I hope so. We are. God's got something for us to do. We're going to spend all eternity. We're going to be co-laborers with our wonderful or co-ruling and, and all that that means. I don't know, but it's exciting to see. I can't wait to see. Number three, a labor is worthy of his wages. The Bible teaches that. A labor, a worker is worthy of his wages. Number four, work is a gift from God. To be productive and useful has its own reward in its own self. I'm trying to get my study painted. It's difficult when you have a bunch of books and bookcases and equipment all around. It's nicer when the room's empty, you know, to paint it. And I'm trying to figure out the best way to do that. But uh, you know what? I like to paint. I know some of you don't. But I do enjoy that. And, uh, you know, it's nice that when you're all done, you're you're like, wow. Yeah, God's a God of beauty, and I sort of help make this more beautiful, you know, kind of a thing. There's a joy in it. Some of you like landscaping, and you do the beautiful flowers and all. Some of you keep your lawns and your, and all these things. There's a beauty in that. There's a joy in and of itself. It doesn't matter whether it's the most menial of work. You sweep the floor to the glory of God. There's a dignity and worth and respect in it, or wash windows, or or, or the, you know, clean toilets, or whatever we think of as being, oh, that's the worst. You know, there's a dignity and an honor and a respect in that if you do it under the Lord and do a job well done. It is. It's a gift from God. Number five, give yourself to be the best at what you do. Give yourself to it. Don't hold back. It's like the runners that run the race, and you keep wondering when they're going to get that last kick. And they'll be going around four or five times around the track and say, they're holding back. They're waiting for the last kick, the last kick. And then they finish, and they never even have a last kick. You go, why why were they holding back? Don't hold back. It's not going to die. Good work won't kill you. You ever hear that expression? I used to hear that a lot. That won't kill you. Give yourself to be the best. Study, learn, take things home, learn how to do it better. Develop your God-given talent and ability. These are stewardship issues, you know. And there's a variety of gifts. Really, there's a variety of gifts. Joe's a computer guy. You don't want me fooling with a computer. That thing won't work again. Mark puts braces on. You don't want me doing that. <laughs> You'll look pretty funny. You know, like, Chuck, you manage your warehouse. And Sam, you do the, the book. You don't want me doing any. You know, we all have a variety of... Uh, and, and Jimmy, you make the, uh, the moldings, right? You're doing the mold. You won't want me fooling with that stuff. You know what I'm saying? And all of you have different gifts and abilities. Some of you are good in the office, and some of you are good in the classroom, some are good in the factory, some are good in teaching, and, and, and all the rest. Janae, you're a lawyer. You won't want me defending you. They throw you away forever. Throw the, throw the key away. You, know? <laughs> you see what I mean? And we're to develop the talents that God has given each one of us individually to be the very best at that. Not in pride, but to do it well. The Lord was a carpenter, right? Do you think he did shoddy work? 
Come unto me, he says, take my yoke, right? He used to make yoke there. The yoke is the wooden beam they would put across the oxen, and so they plow the field together in harmony. Do you think it was sort of like, well, get that out the door. That's, oh, I hope he doesn't see that, that cracked oak beam there or something. No, I think it was the very best. In pride, no, because if a job is worth doing, it's worth doing. That's right. Boy, you've heard that, haven't you? <laughs> See, I knew that. It goes back a bit, but, uh, and that's the way. And so give yourself to be the very best to the glory of Christ. Number six, all work has its own dignity. I sort of just said that, but all work does. It doesn't matter what kind it is. Washing dishes, making a meal, cleaning the house, doing the laundry, a thousand and one times. There's a dignity and value and respect and honor in all of that. Number seven, work as if Jesus were your boss, for he is. Work as if he were your boss. Next time you're, you know, your boss is demanding and, and all the rest, kind of just look right through him or her and see the Lord standing there and say, well, okay, I'll do that, Lord. Uh, that will help. Number eight and last, work to be able to support yourself and to be able to give to the Lord's work and to give to those who have need. And these are biblical principles. Work to be able to support yourself, your family. We like to live indoors. Don't we? I mean, I, I was a Boy Scout once, but that's enough of that living in tents, you know. We live indoors. I'm glad for that. And we walk around, we get food and clothing and shelter and all so much. God is so good to us here, and we do that. And that's God's method for us to do. That's a good thing. And we give to be able to support the Lord's work. We give that to the Lord out of hearts of love, but, but that's not the end of our giving. We give to those around us that we bump in that have a need, and we, and we help them along. That's, that's why we work. Paul said that. Exactly. So flip your page back over. Let's look at, and quickly, the last uh, directive. And this is going to, in verse 9, speak to that of, of uh, a business owners, supervisors, bosses, if you will. It is the duty of all Christian bosses to treat their workers as they would desire to be treated themselves. Verse 9, let's read it. And masters, treat your slaves, your employees, in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he is, is both their master uh, and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism or respect with, uh, with him. No respect or persons, the idea. Now, verse 9, some have said, well, why, why does he speak a whole lot less to the, um, to the bosses than he does to the workers? And the reason is simple. Uh, Paul's concern here is dealing with submission. He's dealing with submission, remember, from 521, the husband-wife relationship, second parent-children relationship, and then he goes into the last domestic area, of workers to their bosses. So that's his focus. But he doesn't leave it there. He wants to add on there to those that have the charge or the employers. He wants to say a few words. You treat them uh, in a way that is proper. And so, A, this is the golden rule for all bosses. It is. All believers are God's children, and both are serving the Lord Christ, who will both judge and reward each one accordingly. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. It won't save you, but it's a general principle for operation. And, uh, and, and, and for those of us who have people that labor and work for us, we are to treat them with dignity and respect as image bearers of God that have different gifts and abilities and places in life, and we are to, we are to honor them. And we are to treat them like the roles were reversed. Well, that will, that will change the employee-employer relationship immediately. There's no headiness or superior attitude or I just arrived and, and you're a minion and I'm everything. None of that. That's gone. That's gone. That's gone. R.C. Sproul one day was speaking to a number of business executives uh, and, uh, and they weren't quite getting what he was talking about. They were kind of wondering, how does theology enter into the marketplace? And uh, finally, uh, after R.C. had talked, one of the executives uh, raised his hand, and he said this, and I quote from R.C.'s writing, uh, Oh, I see, he said, Our business life is affected by how we treat people. For how we treat people is really a matter of ethics. 
And he said, and then I think about it, ethics is determined by our philosophy, and our philosophy reflects theology. Ah, he said, so respecting people, my employees, is really a theological matter. And R.C. said, bingo, you got it. That's right. The way we view people as image bearers of God with worth and dignity, having different talents and gifts and opportunities, is all important. If we, true, if we view those as people that are there to meet my needs, they're for my benefit, and they're minions, and I'm everything, well, that's a philosophy that will lead to a bad ethic and a terrible work environment, you see. It does. It changes everything. The gospel changes everything. It does. It does. One man writes on this uh, very issue, and he called it, uh, No Dropping the Head. No dropping the head. Well, what's that? Well, he, he, he cited a study that was done in a hospital. Give me like this. In a hospital where, you know, you have all kinds of people in the hospital. They used to call them orderlies and those that mop the floors and do the menial jobs and, uh, and so on. And, and uh, he saw it one day when uh, the uh, gentleman was pushing a gurney and he was like the bottom rung of the employment there at the hospital, probably going to go get it cleaned or fetch a patient or something. And then the head nurse came walking down, the, and, and he's looking up, going to greet the head nurse now. And as soon as she sees him, what? She drops her head and doesn't make eye contact because he's a minion. He's almost a nobody. And that's out. And that's out. And that's really a terrible theology. That man has dignity and worth, and if he does his job, does it well, he is worthy of, of, of equal encouragement and blessing and, uh, and so on. Just because we're not peers, just because he's below me or she's below me doesn't mean I don't treat them as, a, as an equal, as an heir, as an image bearer of God. That's what he's saying. That's exactly, in, in the same way, he's saying. And so the golden rule for bosses is, is that we are to treat them with honor and respect. B, and finally, do not threaten them. That's it. You know, sometimes we get a tongue lashing, right? No, do not threaten. Don't be harsh with your workers. View yourself as an equal with them, yet having a different place in life, for you do. You are to reflect Christ-likeness in all that you do. Remember, God is not a respecter of persons. And so promote the welfare. Promote, encourage, provide, care for your workers. And do so as unto Christ. Well, what are some lessons for our life? Let's look at these quickly and we'll be done. Number one, number one, being a Christian changes everything, doesn't it? It does. It changes everything. Every department, deportment of your life and mine, it changes it. It ought to, it should, it will make you a better worker, a better boss. I, was, uh, I worked when I was in college for a man who was unsaved. John, John owned a Chevron station, service station there in the city. and, and It was a township. And, uh, and I got to know John, and God allowed us to be uh, friends, even though I worked for him. And uh, the trust that he put into me, uh, I, I valued. I valued very much. And he would say to me, you can't imagine how many employees have stolen from me through the years. I've been robbed blind from auto parts to cash to everything. And after I, I'd known John for a year, he said to me, you know, he said, you're the first man I ever met that I could just give you the cash register, the key, and everything else. And I'd never even give it a thought. You know what? I'm a sinful man, and God has wonderfully saved me and is sanctifying me. But I was so encouraged and pray that that would be wholeheartedly true. And it was a mark of God's grace in my life, and that he could see it. and gave me ample opportunity to talk to him for hours and hours about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in his home many, many times. It was Christ in me. It changed me. It, what was the difference between someone else and me and maybe not walking out with $20, right? I just make change and not put it in or whatever else. It's only Christ because I have the same bent. I was born the same way as all of us in sin. 
lost, under judgment, selfish, sinner. It's God. But the gospel changes everything, doesn't it? It does. And it ought to make you a better worker. And if not, and if this is really convicting, then you need to spend time even today and say, Lord, I've failed at this. I've failed. I've not been wholehearted. I've cheated my boss. I've talked about it. I've been disrespectful. I've not held him in the right. I've not held her in the right place. And I could never even bring the gospel up at the leisure times or away from work because it would be a laughing stock. They'd never want to hear. Lord, forgive me. I failed in this. And maybe a good number of us just may need to do business with God on this thing. Say, Lord, forgive me. Uh, there's hope for me, I know. Work in me so that, that uh, whether uh, someone is there or not, I'm loyal, I'm faithful, I'm hardworking because of Christ. I work for you. That's who I work for. Number two. Second lesson for our life, as a worker, you are to put your heart and soul into your work. You ever have people work half-hearted for you? Ever see that? Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy, really. Put your heart and soul. You may make mistakes, and we do, but learn from them. And, 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 and put, your, put, your, put yourself into it. We used to go to the roller skating rink when I was a kid, and they do the, the hokey pokey. You ever do that? You put your right foot in, put your right foot out, put your left elbow in, left elbow out. Then at the end, don't you go, put your whole self in, then you say, put your whole self out. We're not roller skating. Put your whole self in to the work that you have. Put it in. Well, why are you holding back? You can't work like that when you're dead. You might as well do it to your best of your ability right now, to the glory of Christ in you. Number three. Number three, your workplace is your mission field. Don't tarnish the gospel by your work life. Don't tarnish it. And if you have, ask forgiveness. That's a humble thing to do. It is. And that's usually good. If it's humbling, it's good usually for us. I'm going to try better. I'm going to, I serve Christ. I've I've had a bad attitude. I know I've told you off. I've I've been half-hearted. I don't know why you didn't fire me. I'm going to change all that because the Lord in me and I was, and the Lord caused me to repent and change. I'm going to be better at what I do. It's the gospel. It's the mission field. That's your mission field. That's your workplace. It is. Don't tarnish the glory of the gospel by the way you work. Number four, if you are a boss, you must treat all of your people or supervisor, treat all of your people with respect and dignity and value them. You know, that's what people want. They want to be valued. They, they want to be appreciated. We're so slow to do that. We are. When things uh, happen, we ought to be big with our words. We live in a sort of day when things, everything's supposed to go right, and we don't say anything. We don't say, well, hey, that was great. But I'll tell you when it goes bad. That's when I'll speak up. You know, as a church, we fail in this often. You know, we, we ought to be the, the greatest encouragers one to the other. We ought to do that. And I don't see that happening like it should. It ought to be a whole lot more. Someone sings a song or they have a ministry or they're with our kids in the back or they're in their nursery. We ought to be big with our words. We ought to, we ought to send notes. We ought to do email. We ought to do that and cross all over the place, encourage one another. Someone stands for a prayer request. We ought, to, we ought to say something to them. You see, we ought to do that. Uh, we ought to treat all people with dignity and worth and value in this regard as a boss or supervisor. Even the lowliest is with, as, as the earth. Really, all work has dignity. And aren't you glad that they're doing that? Aren't you glad the toilets get clean? Amen. That's a, a terrible thing, like, I wouldn't even go in there if they, it's valuable. They'll show you how valuable it is. Let them miss for a week or two. Yeah, you'll find out, oh boy, that's more important than I was thinking. Well, we, we ought to do that. Number five and last. Uh, perhaps your lack, I just suggest, perhaps your lack of good work means that you're unsaved. Maybe, maybe the reality is, is that you don't know Christ as your Savior. You and I are born under the wrath of God. Jesus said that in John 3.18. The condemnation that hangs over us already. 
You must be saved. You must own up to the fact that you're a sinner and lost and under judgment and face only a Christless eternity in a place called hell. The Lord is the one who taught us on that more than anyone. You must receive Christ the Lord as your personal Savior from your sin. You can do that by simply confessing to him your sin, turning from receiving him, Lord Jesus I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying in my place. You paid the price for my sin. Well, becoming a Christian changes everything. It does. It ought to make men you have better, if you're a husband, a better husband. Ladies, a better wife. Children, better children. Workers, better workers. All of us work. But we work under the Lord Christ. That's you and your work. Shall we stand and be dismissed? Father.